When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 107 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is Mr. Luis Gonzalez. Luis brings more than 25 years of experience in helping improve business outcomes for global organizations via training and coaching. Prior to joining Fierce, the organization he's with now, Luis developed and facilitated training workshops for Microsoft's global effectiveness, intercultural communication, and other targeted training sessions to improve customer satisfaction, intercultural competency, and communications of customer support engineers working with premier Microsoft accounts in the U.S. With more than 15 years of experience with Marriott International and the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, Luis brings extensive hospitality leadership experience and a keen sense of customer service to this conversation. At the Ritz-Carlton, he directed the implementation of total quality management strategies, helping to win the prestigious Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award twice as a result. Now, you'll hear Luis's experience come through in this conversation as we get really deep into these things that he has talked about, about cultures, about uh, customer service, about really taking the time and getting to know the people in your organization that are talking to the people that buy your organization's products and serving them well. You know, it's a theme we heard uh, with Robertson Hunter Stewart, uh, and it's a theme that we've been hearing a lot with the customer service-oriented uh, guests on the show. And Luis just brings another perspective on that message from his personal experiences. So do please continue listening because He's got a lot of unique perspectives to bring to this based off of his experience. So I think that's enough of me bumping my gums here. I'm going to shut up, get out of the way, let the stinger roll, and let you get into this great conversation with Luis Gonzalez. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Burn and Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and today's guest is Mr. Luis Gonzalez. Luis, thanks for joining us. Earl, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, I'm uh, very excited to have this conversation and, and blessed to have you on the show. Um, and I, I'm really interested to hear your take on the question I start everybody out on. When you hear a phrase like burden of command, what does that mean to you? Burden of command. I've thought about this one before and then I really had to think about it when I understood that that question would be asked of me. How do I interpret that or what does it mean for me? So for me, Command 
within the burden of command. Command speaks to the authority one has in making decisions. So command is the authority that an individual has been given, perhaps, to exercise decision-making. And it comes with responsibility and accountability for those decisions that we make. Uh, those decisions that we make can you know, improve things, ruin things, ruin people's lives, make things miserable for people, etc. So that's the responsibility and the accountability that comes with that, those decision, making those decisions. These are the consequences as a result of those decisions. So for me, decision makers, and I'm one, those of us that have been given the authority to make decisions down the chain of command, we carry a big responsibility or a heavy responsibility. That's the burden. <laughs> so it's the weight of responsibility that leaders and those of us with authority to make decisions have. So the burden of command is part of being an effective leader to me. Burden of command is that responsibility, that accountability uh, that comes with making decisions uh, that are going to affect people's lives in some way. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that a lot because, I mean, it, it really speaks to, uh, you know, speaks to, to those root words in there, if you will. And I like the fact that you hit both of them because I've had a lot of people that focus on either burden or <laughs> command, not burden and command. So I, I like that you paid attention to both of those there. Uh, so um, now, so you work currently with an organization uh, called Fierce, correct? That's correct. So, so what are you guys all about over there? Uh, we are a, a leadership development company, a training company, if you will, uh, that teaches people how to have meaningful, Im effective conversations that, at the end of the day, improve our results, improve our personal results and our personal lives, or improve our business results, whatever we say those you know, results need to be. That's essentially what we do in a nutshell. You could say it's effective communication training tied in with leadership training, all about what we call fierce conversations or in layman's term authentic conversations which can be fierce sometimes if you're really speaking to the heart of the matter yeah no and i like that because i think that's that's so true and you know i've had a few folks on here recently uh talking about that connection with leadership and trust and communication mm -hmm. uh so i'm really happy to be having this conversation with you today uh especially focusing on those difficult conversations because mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's easy to really talk about the surface stuff, but to really dig deep into a yep. meaningful conversation, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of courage that, that sadly not every leader has. So how do you get yep. them there? Well, let me just go back to what you said. It takes a lot of courage. Why does it take courage? Oftentimes for us to initiate or engage in these deeper conversations, if you will, the fear, there's fear there and the fear comes from very uh, different variables. So for example, fear, um, I might be wrong, fear I might lose the relationship, ruin the relationship, affect the relationship negatively, fear that I might uncover my own involvement <laughs> in something, perhaps, uh, fear that I might need to do something, etc. So there's all these, I guess you could say, umbrella, umbrella, it is fear, there's fear behind us that keeps us from taking the conversation to a deeper level or taking it to the level that it needs to go to really find out what's happening. And if we do have the courage to go there, what often happens in the conversation is we're satisfied. We, meaning me, you included, any any leader perhaps, or person for that matter, we don't 
take the conversation deep as it could go or as it should go to really see the bigger picture, to really see all the facts. And we're, we tend to be satisfied with the first answer we get or the surface answers or surface responses or gleaning the surface of the information we, that uh, we get in the conversation. And for authentic conversations to happen, for real, fierce, as we call them, conversations to take place, it requires that we take it deeper, that we take the conversation deeper. And sometimes that takes courage. It means being curious. It means asking questions, as, as I mentioned a moment ago, not being satisfied uh, with the surface answer. I could ask you a question, Earl, how is this particular situation affecting you? And you give me one answer, I could be satisfied with that and move on. But I bet you there's more information there, Earl. So I may ask you a second question. Tell me more about that. How else is it affecting you? What else is it affecting? What are the risks? What are the challenges? What are your pain points? Ah, as you start telling me all of this, now I'm getting a more complete picture. And thus, as a leader, if I'm a leader, I'm better equipped to make a better decision or support you or what have you. Yeah, well, and I like exactly what you said there at the, that last piece there, because I think that is is maybe where some leaders get set up for failure, right? Because they, they'll ask the question, right? Like, how does this make you feel? And mm -hmm. and a lot of times the, the, the follower, the team member, the associate, whatever your term is for them in your organization, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you get on, with, you move on with your day. But I bet you, I guarantee you, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, I would place money on it. I bet you there's more there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. I bet you there's more. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no. And, and so before we get too much further down this road, let me, uh, let, let's kind of clarify for, for listeners. When we talk about fierce or difficult conversations, like what types of conversations are you talking about? I'll give you a perfect example, That's and we're going to keep it to the workplace here mm -hmm. for our discussion, if that's okay. Uh, let's say, for example, you are one of you know a number of people at a meeting. You're one decision maker in, let's say, a handful of people of decision makers in a meeting, but there's the main leader leading this meeting, and this leader X proposes uh, something new, a, a rollout of some sort, an initiative of some sort, a project of some sort, and... In your mind, you think to yourself, this isn't going to work, or this is going to negatively affect the customer experience, or uh, doesn't he or she see that the plan is great, but it's going to create a lot of uh, roadblocks or uh, extra work or what have you for other teams. Perhaps they haven't thought of it. But I decide not to speak up. I decide to just keep my mouth shut and let it roll. That's a difficult conversation. It's difficult for a lot of us, myself included, to raise my hand or, you know, speak to that leader on the side or somehow bring it to that leader's attention. Hey, great idea. But have you seen, <laughs> have you extrapolated the, the results? Have you seen it a few steps farther? It's going to create the bottleneck for the other teams or it's not going to be good when it hits the customer. because It, it will not, it will negatively affect the customer experience perhaps. But in some organizations, there's cultures of retaliation. In some organizations, it's just not safe to do that. I've been fortunate enough to work with and work in within as a consultant organizations where they actually encourage that type of open dialogue. Uh, but that is a fierce conversation. That could be a difficult conversation. I'll give you another example. Let's say you and I, Earl, we're working on a project together. We're both members of a team. You don't report to me and I don't report to you. 
perhaps maybe our kids play together. <laughs> perhaps mm-hmm. we have some sort of a relationship and you're making mistakes on the project or you're not pulling your weight on the project or there's something that needs to change, Earl. And I need to talk with you about it because if I don't, or let me reframe it, if this doesn't change how you are participating in this project as a project member, if it doesn't change, we're going to have negative results. We're not going to meet our deadline or we're not going to make the customer happy or whatever it is. And I have to talk with you about that, Earl. I've got to confront you on Mm -hmm. that. And that's difficult because you're also my friend. We might go out to happy hour or our kids might play together. And that's the fear. How might this negatively impact our relationship? What will Earl think of me? Maybe who knows what it is. And so that's also, how do I confront a team member? How do I confront a leader when their actions or their behavior or their words are negatively affecting relationships and trust in the workplace? How do we bring that up? How do I speak up and say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. Here's the challenge I'm seeing. Let's talk about that. So these are just some examples of what we call, you know, where a fierce conversation needs to take place. Yeah, well, no, and, and I like I like both of those examples, and the, and the thing I like about the the second one there, and again, listeners, we're going to keep this as, as a workplace conversation here, uh, but Simon Sinek said something great in his last book, uh, Leaders Eat Last, mm-hmm. and he talked about what you were just talking about, but he was talking about the U.S. Congress as an example, mm-hmm. right? And, and he said, in his opinion. One of the reasons Congress has deteriorated the way it looks today is because what you just said no longer happens. Mm -hmm. And he uses this great example in there, and he kind of builds on it where he says, you know, there used to be a time when members of Congress lived in D.C., their kids went to the were on the same sports teams, they went to the same Mm -hmm. schools, their wives went to the same events, and they were kind of forced to have these difficult conversations and work through things. And it was a much more cordial environment than what we have today when people leave and they don't have these conversations. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a a great example on on a national scale for my U.S. listeners of how an organization, not going to talk about politics, but how an organization can deteriorate when this is missing, right? Absolutely. And then there's, you know, we haven't even spoken about either the trust that you can build with people when you do have these conversations and the trust that can be eroded when you don't. There's another aspect of that. So let's say, for example, Earl, I decide not to confront you that you're not pulling your weight on the project. I just keep my mouth shut, let it roll. We go through it. And suddenly, or at the end of it all, Earl, you are reprimanded or I don't know that maybe I'm finding the right word, but you receive negative feedback uh, somehow or other. And then you find out later that I knew about it and I could have told you about it. I didn't get your back. I didn't. I kept my mouth shut. So then that affects the trust. That actually gets me the result that I was trying to avoid. I was avoiding having the conversation with you for fear it would affect the trust in our relationship. And yet, by avoiding the conversation, I actually got the result that I was trying to avoid by avoiding the conversation because you may come back to me and say, Luis, why didn't you say something? I thought you had my back. Why didn't you tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, Earl, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, why didn't you give me the feedback? I count on you. I thought we were I thought we were tight. So there's that the other side of it. Yeah. Well, and that's it. Right. And I think you hit on it. And this may be just the, the plain root of it is is egos. 
right? Yep. We're either worried about bruising our ego and we don't want to take those risks or we're worrying about bruising somebody else's ego and we want to put mm-hmm. them through that. But yep. like you just pointed out, a lot of times that more direct approach is a way to save both of those egos. Yeah, and if I can add to that, how I would approach it, let's say using the example with you again, Earl, you know, instead of me just coming right out and saying, Earl, I've noticed the last three times we've needed a deliverable from you, you've been late like two days and you're setting the team back and it's causing the whole project to be delayed, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if I, instead of going right in to my rant, if you will, how about if I started it this way, hey, Earl, I've noticed last three times we've had deliverables, you've been pretty late, kind of holding up the team a little bit, but gosh, Earl, can you tell me what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Because <laughs> right. you, you, you show care and concern, not just, uh, you know, I'm not right. just being negative. Yeah. Not just yeah. being negative or, or I'm right. No, I love that. I love and not that. only that, if I can, if I can jump in real and just yeah. say it, it does that. And in addition, it shows you that I'm, a, I, I'm willing to admit that there might be more to the story here that I don't know. I could be actually wrong because my assumption, which we all probably don't like to do or know we, probably shouldn't do. My assumption might be you're slacking, let's say, mm-hmm. but there might be more to the story as to why it's appearing to me as you're slacking. There might be something going on at home there. Who knows? Yeah. And so when I come in that way and say, Hey Earl, I've noticed this. Can you tell me you know, what's up? What's going on? It's not like you. Now we engage in a conversation. Now I get more information. I see more pieces of the puzzle kind of fit together. And then I can say, Oh, okay, Earl, that explains it. How can I support you? Kind of thing. And then we build the trust that way. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Now, you know, I mentioned uh, in in the pre roll bio there. You've you've traveled fairly extensively through your career. Uh, I've had you know the the fortune of being able to travel through my military career and then my uh, civilian service, um, and experienced a bunch of different cultures. Mm-hmm. In your experiences with the cultures you've been exposed to, uh, is it? Or, or is it harder or easier for other cultures to, to have these conversations? Uh, this I'll just speak from my experience, Earl. Someone else may have different experiences. I would say it's more difficult. I've lived in India. I've lived in Mexico. And I've lived in Brazil working. I've lived in other places. But I've lived and worked, held a job on a team, as a member of a team, as a decision maker in India, Mexico, and Brazil. And in some other cultures, they're very indirect in their communication style. We North Americans tend to be very direct. It's easier for us to come out in general. And I'm speaking in very general terms. I don't want to paint a wide brush. In general, we're very direct. In general, these other cultures that I mentioned are very indirect. And so I have been in situations where members of a, uh, I want to say participants in one of my workshops that I deliver will say, well, great. You know, I understand it logically. It makes sense, Luis. It looks great on the PowerPoint. But how can I possibly go to my boss in an upward direction? Where, you know, in these cultures, hierarchy is very strong, very mm-hmm. important. And you stay within your lane, if you will, of whatever, you know, uh, whatever part of that hierarchy you fall under. How can I possibly tell the boss, hey, your plan's not going to work, you know? So, how I get around that is, and this is also to a certain degree in Mexico where, you know, it's very hierarchical there, very patriarchal. Most of the leaders are men. Most of the leaders are middle-aged or older with lots of experience, and they carry with them a sense of command, if you will. And so it's even harder 
to raise your hand and say, hey, boss, that plan you just mentioned, uh, I, see some, <laughs> I see some challenges there. I see some breakdowns there. So how I recommend going around that challenge, that cultural challenge, if you will, is by pointing out to the leader or whoever it is that you are, let's just call, call it confronting or sharing the feedback with, however you want to look at it. I pose the risks that I see first. The reason why, boss, I'm bringing this up is because from what I know, and again, here we go with there may be more to the story here that I don't know. I may not have all the information. I get that. But with what I do know, from where I sit, I see risks to the company. I see loss to the company in terms of loss of clients or loss of revenue, I'm trying to avoid that. Again, I know there might be more to the story here, but from what I see, I'm trying to help us avoid uh, this risk. Here's what I see. So a lot of times, if you approach it that way, it's more from a place of, I guess humility is the word I want to use. Maybe that's not the right word, but more of a place of humility and more of a place of, I understand there might be more going on here, but I really am looking out for the organization, for the team by speaking up before we hit that disaster. I, did that make sense, Earl? No, it made complete sense. And I'm, I'm always amazed. Like, so I've been doing this uh, podcast now for a couple of years and uh, I'm always amazed how it seems like, uh, you know, these, these disparate people that I get a, uh, an opportunity to interview with varying backgrounds and varying experiences. It always amazes me how we kind of end up clustering some of these themes. And <laughs> so, you know, the, the gentleman I spoke to on the last uh, episode, John Berghoff, um, we kind of got to talk about this a little bit and the, the kind of the historical tie in with some of these concepts we're dealing with today. And you just said something that was reminding me of the conversation that we had where I mentioned, uh, Sun Tzu, right. And, and everybody's heard of in some way, shape or form Sun Tzu's art of war, but he talks about what we're talking about here, just kind of an indirect way. So there's a one of the lines that says, uh, Sun Tzu says, as a general rule, never uh, direct or never attack a heavily fortified position. Hmm. Well, that's what we're talking about here, right? Is because hmm. these positions uh, in these discussions, they're heavily fortified. People have their their sincerely held beliefs. They have their data that they're using. And if you try to hit them head on, that heavily fortified position, nine times out of 10, you're going to fail. Right. And, and that's the genius in what you said. You're not attacking their position. You're doing what we call flanking. And you're coming around to a less fortified position to make this a, a mutually uh, mutually beneficial conversation. I love that. And it's, yeah, it's, it's and that's what I love when you look at, you know, Sun Tzu was, that was 2,600 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it in different terms, yep. but the same things are still holding true. Yep, yep, I agree. Yeah. You know, Earl, if, if, if I can just uh, say a few things, I'd like to flip it, if you don't mind. So there's that we're looking at this from one angle, how to speak up. And in particular, the example I was using was, you know, how to speak up to a leader or a boss or confront in an upward fashion. Uh, and the example I used was, hey, a plan that you're rolling out has some gaps that you may not see. That's mm-hmm. one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is leaders. If any of your listeners here are, you know, one of those leaders, higher up leaders, if you will, uh, our job, this is my perspective. I'm speaking for myself here. Our job as leaders is not to be right. Mm-hmm. Our job as leaders is to make the best possible decisions for the organization at the end of the day. 
how do we make the best possible possible decisions? One of the ways is by diversity of thought. Yes. No one person, not you, not me, can see the entire organization completely, wholly, holistically from every angle. It's impossible. And the bigger the organization, the harder it is. We need the perspectives of others. So for leaders, when you've got that awesome plan, initiative, uh, whatever it is that you're about to roll out, think about it. Might it serve you well to make an even better decision by getting other perspectives on your idea so that people can show you what you're not seeing, show you the gaps in your plan, show you how your plan may negatively affect the customer experience or the client, etc. Some of the, of the things that we were just talking about. There's two people I'd like to call out who are known for doing this. One is Robert Redford. One other one is Oprah Winfrey. They both lead organizations. They both have their teams of leaders. And they typically, from what I read, typically open their meetings by saying, I'm going to share with you what I think, what my reality is, what I think I'm going to do. Please don't just agree with me and tell me how wonderful I am. I need you to help me see what I'm not seeing. And that's an awesome, wonderful invitation. And in my experience, it's still a rare invitation from leaders. You are 100% correct, you know, and, and again, that's one of the things that we talk about here at the Leadership Phalanx as well is cognitive diversity. And I think the sad thing is I agree with everything you just said. And I think the saddest thing about it is is, is I term it the, the most powerful tool you have in your toolbox that you aren't using. Because we all have that diversity, uh, especially that diversity of thought in our organizations today. Yep, yep. We're just not doing what you, you're talking about here and, and opening ourselves up and, and putting it to work. It's such a wonderful opportunity. And I, I have to admit, Earl, you know, this is something that I've realized in the last five years of training this, facilitating this as a fierce facilitator and then talking with my clients afterwards uh, and seeing their results. It is so awesome to be able to say, hey, I've got this plan and I think it's wonderful. In fact, I know it's wonderful, but man, I need your perspective. And when you can create, when you or we leaders, anyone can help create an environment in the workplace where that is the norm, that is part of the culture, we're all going to make better decisions at the end of the day and be happier. When I feel comfortable as a leader to be vulnerable and look at a team of people who report to me and say, help me see what I'm not seeing. What are your thoughts? How would you do this differently? What would you do? Ultimately, yes, I'm going to make the decision. Ultimately, I'm the one who will make the decision and, and you know, receive you know, whatever praises or otherwise for it. But it's a collaborative event now. It's a collaborative decision now. Even though I am known as the decision maker, I also get to, if whatever it is I'm doing turns out to be a success, I get to you know, share the love, of, as they say. Yeah, I made the decision as your leader, but I made that decision through a collaborative, through many collaborative conversations with my team here. They deserve some of the credit as well. And at the end of the day, I've made a better decision because there were gaps, risks, etc., that I didn't see that other people pointed out to me. But I had to invite them to do it first. I had to set the tone. I had to let them know that it's okay. I yeah. sincerely want this. No, I, I like that a lot. And, you know, and, and, you know, maybe you've had different experiences or you got different ideas on this. But for me, I think there's this magic window of opportunity when we first bring somebody into the organization where this is most effective, right? Because 
they haven't been quote onboarded. Mm-hmm. They they don't know how things are quote supposed to run, mm-hmm. and they have this fresh eye perspective mm-hmm. on what we're doing. And I think that's like this 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 magical moment where you can bring them in and have this conversation because they're they're not indoctrinated. They're they're not right. spun up. They they really have an outside point of view. Yep, it's fresh. And they also, to add to your list, they also don't have that pre-recorded uh, message in their heads that they're going to say, well, this is the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it if it works, don't fix it, or that kind of mentality for people who you know, are more tenured, maybe might tend to have that perspective. Um, another thing I say, Earl, if I may add, when, I, you know, when I'm facilitating or coaching leaders, etc., and I share with them, okay, what I shared with you, it's, you know, it's important to have this diversity of thought and invite people to, you know, give you their feedback. Do they see breakdowns, risks, etc.? I even challenge them, invite the devil's advocate to have a look at your idea. Invite the person that you would least likely to hear from, <laughs> yeah. because they're probably going to find the holes in your plan or your idea, the breakdowns, the risks, and that's what you want. You yeah. don't want to roll out a half-baked plan that you have to redo a quarter later you know yeah so i challenge them invite your devil's advocates invite the people you're less likely to invite invite them oh yeah yeah no i uh i'm trying to remember who it was there was a uh a thought leader i'm not gonna use the word guru i think that gets used a lot nowadays but there was a thought leader uh he said if if you're if you're asking a question and the only answer you hear is yes you ask the wrong question mm-hmm yep <laughs> Yeah, because mm-hmm. you, you, I mean, and I think that is is uh, what you said is very valuable because you you don't want to just hear yeah, boss, everything's great. Mm-hmm. That should be your first indicator that mm, yeah. no, <laughs> there's more here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Well, on that note, you know, uh, we we've talked a lot about the importance of having these difficult conversations. But what are the leaders' responsibilities once they have had the conversations? Or do they have a responsibility to do something with that data to, to show that it was yep. an effort worth going through or what? Absolutely. Absolutely. I call, okay, I'm glad you brought this up because there's nothing worse. We've probably seen it. Nothing worse than when a leader or a department comes to an individual or a team in an organization and says something like, we really want your opinion. We really want your perspective. We really want your feedback. Please take the time to give that to us. And the employees, the associates uh, take the time out of their busy days. They put the energy, they do it, they give their perspective, and they never hear back. I call that the illusion of inclusion. Mm. It's worse than non-inclusion. So what I mean by that is, you know, I'm, I won't age myself, but I started my career in the early 1980s. I come from, I guess you could say, old school, where leadership tended to be at that time top down. Here are your marching orders, do as you say. And that's fine. If you work in an organization and you know that that's the culture, well, all right, you chose to work for that organization. That's the culture. It's a top down culture. Uh, but it's worse when you have the, that's no inclusion. Worse is the illusion of inclusion where you pretend or they say they want feedback and perspectives, but they don't follow up. They never circle back. They never share the results. So the onus is on us, the leaders, when we engage in these types of conversations with others to get their perspectives, to have them help us see gaps in the problem, etc. You've got to let them know at the end of it all, 
here's what I'm going to do. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your perspective. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's when I'm going to do it. Then you do whatever it is that you're going to do. You roll out that initiative or whatever it is, you do it. And you still should, need to, must follow up with those same people. I'll call them your think tank members. Follow up with them and let them know the result. Hey, what a success. We can share in that success. You were part of that. You helped me see what I didn't see. You helped me make that better decision. And as I mentioned earlier, we can all share in that in that success. So the onus is, uh, is on us leaders to follow up let the people know here's what we're going to here's what I'm going to do here's when I'm going to do it and let me just say this as well if you say okay I'll I'm going to make this decision next Wednesday and I'll get back with you and let you know well if something happens we know how life is maybe Wednesday comes and you weren't able to run it by someone who you need their perspective or another decision maker then you've got to check in with those people your think tank members and say hey I knew I told you I would get back with you by Wednesday there's you know been a delay I'll get back with you next week so again, it's just avoiding this illusion of inclusion and really making sure you just connect all those communication points as things change and share, especially the results. Well, yeah, right. And and again, you know, when we talk about modern organizations, and again, what I love so much about what you said is, you know, organizations are struggling uh, with words that they'll use like engagement and loyalty and building a legacy. Well, there's no faster way to get employees engaged, generate loyalty, and build a legacy than to have them be able to provide their input that actually gets put to use in the organization, right? Absolutely. And I tell leaders, too, I say, you know, it because I've had, I've had people question me and actually give me what I call pushback. Well, wait a minute. Are you saying, Luis, that every decision I make, I got to run it by people? No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> But think about any decision you're going to make or anything that you're about to do in your role that would be best done by hearing from different perspectives than your own, perhaps even competing perspectives in your own, do it. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I couldn't agree more. And, you know, and, and um, my response to that is as much as possible, sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as you pointed out, there's things that you can make. Uh, you you have a responsibility to make that decision then and there. But yep. if you have that opportunity, you know, this is where I like to tie in history. You know, you, you remember the movie 300? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't. Oh, no, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, so it, it was it was an okay movie at best. I'll, I'll put it out there. But it was <laughs> about the Battle of Thermopylae. It was kind of like a historical fiction, I'll say, about the Battle of Thermopylae. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It, it talks about the Spartans moving out to meet the Persians at uh, the Hot Gates, Thermopylae, right? And the movie does a good job of capturing this because kind of the way the story is told is when they get there, the first thing that the Spartans have to do is they have to decide uh, where to build this wall that was going to funnel the Persian forces uh, to a, a choke point to let the Spartans be able to hold them back and buy time. Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about a king, King Leonidas, right? You know, kings are usually decision makers. We, we have this whole off with their heads kind of mentality with kings, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But the first thing he did when he gets there is he gathers his captains and he asks them, where should we build the wall? And that's it. And he steps back and he listens to them talking. 
And as kind of typically happens when you have this conversation, people kind of get entrenched in their their position and why it's right. But all he did was he, he listened and he took in all of the data and all the perspectives. And then he gets up, the king gets up, walks over to a pile, grabs a rock, comes back over and sets it down on the ground. And then he goes over and he picks up another rock and he sets it down on the ground. And it took folks a, f- a minute to figure out what's going on that's where the wall was going to be built. Mm. And without saying a word, everybody gets up and they start going to the pile of rocks and they start building mm. the wall. Mm. You know, I mean, he asked a question, he got the feedback, he took action and everybody mm. bought in because they had some type of uh, input into it. And now it's remembered all these yep. thousands of years later. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so everything yep. we've been talking about here happened that morning. Yeah, I love that analogy. And one thing I was going to say, Earl, before we, we turn the corner here is uh, I ask leaders to, you know, the first thing they can do that's kind of is along the lines of the last uh, statement I was making where leaders say, you know, gosh, do I have to have you know, every decision? Do I have to have people weigh in on it? No. But you know what you can do to start building trust and start really creating an environment of collaboration where people are really feeling good about being there, that they're heard, their opinion matters, all that. Pick the low hanging fruit. Is there something that you really that isn't crucial or, you know, life changing or life threatening that you can, you know, share with with a think tank and say, hey, what should we do? How should we run our team meetings as a simple example or how, you know, something like where should we build the wall? I'll use that example. And people take part in that. They collaborate. They make the decision. Let them run with it. It's their decision. You, yeah, you made the decision, but basically they did. And it's low hanging fruit. It's nothing. It's not big uh, mountain moving or you know, earth shattering kind of decisions for the organization, the low hanging fruit, but you can imagine the trust and uh, just the collaboration that it can build on a team when that happens. Well, yeah, a hundred percent. And, and the other thing for me is, uh, you know, another big kind of catchphrase right now is succession planning. Well, Mm -hmm. how are you going to identify those people who are ready to move up in your organization, who are ready to take on those next level leadership roles if you never give them that opportunity to participate and be in the leadership role. Yep. So you identify the folks, you, you can build your succession plan through this method. That's right. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Yep. <laughs> no, I love it. I mm-hmm. love it. Well, as you said, uh, you know, kind of turn in the corner here. I like that a little bit because I want to get into another area of yours and it kind of ties into everything we've been talking about here. But, you know, with COVID and we're a year plus now into it, and a lot of folks are have really shifted uh, from in a lot of industries being kind of anti-remote work, anti-telework, mm-hmm. to now they've been forced to accept it and, and mm-hmm. deal with that. So I guess can you, continuing this trust, hopefully a lot of organizations have dealt with the trust issues of remote work. But if they still have some room to improve or, or really come to grips with that, how can you build a culture of trust with a remote working environment? Yeah, that's a great question. Love it. And let me just say, I am one of those persons who has had my reality completely changed working now behind a desk all the time when I used to travel all over the place and deliver workshops. So I get it. And this is a good question because it comes up. And it's something that I've also led workshops on. First of all, we're all physically separated, or at least you know we have been. Some companies are going back into the office, but gosh, a vast majority of us are still physically separated. 
research, I'll bring in a little research here. Research, two Nobel Prizes were won. One in 2002 by a researcher named Daniel Kahneman. Mm -hmm. Richard Thaler won Nobel Prize for economics in 2017. Both of them proved that we human beings are emotional, emotionally wired first. What that means is we make decisions emotionally first, not rationally. We are loyal to our bosses. We are loyal to companies. We're loyal to uh, brands for emotional reasons first. We human beings are emotionally driven creatures. And it doesn't matter what race you are, where you were born, any of that. If you're a human being, it's just how you're hardwired. So that means that now that we're physically separated, it's even more important for us, especially leaders, to connect with our remote team members and not with an agenda. And what I mean by that is, yeah, of course, we have to check in, you know, where are we at with this, you know, where are we at with that, etc. have the business conversations. But it's even more important now for leaders and all of us to check in with one another. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. I sincerely care what given everything that's on your plate, given everything that's going on, how you doing? And you've got to be sincere about it. You got to have it within yourself to really honestly care how they're doing because we human beings are also really good at sniffing out inauthenticity. But just checking in with people on a human level, making that connection will start to build the trust. They will start to feel supported. They will start to feel heard. And they will also tell you more information that perhaps you didn't have that will also help you be a better leader. And it enriches the relationship and it improves the results because as as a result of them feeling heard, of them being checked in genuinely, that somebody actually really cares, they're probably going to do better work and better quality of work. And so that that addresses the issue of trust on remote teams and the accountability of remote teams. It's simply a human connection. I hate to make it so simple. Actually, I don't hate to make it so simple. It's as simple as that. No, I again, I love it, and and I can hear uh, or I can see in my mind my longtime listeners' uh, eyes already rolling because they know what I'm getting ready to say because I've said <laughs> it probably a hundred times on the show. Leadership is just another relationship. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and so as soon <laughs> as you, you as soon as you said that, I was like, they they're like, yeah, this is, here goes Earl with leadership is another relationship because it's true. Yep. and I love it. Uh, yep. I, I just ha- I go ahead, go ahead. No, Sorry, no, you go right ahead. I just had an aha moment to overuse that term. Yeah, leadership is a relationship. Now, let me kind of, as they say, piggyback onto that. Leadership is a relationship. Well, our relationships, the quality of our relationships, in a great, way, in a in a big way, are determined by the quality of our conversations. Mm-hmm. So. I look at it this way. Whatever I put into the conversation, I will get out of the relationship. Whatever I withhold from the conversation, I'll get out. I'll not get in the relationship. So if I want candor, I want honesty, I want empathy, uh, frequency in my <laughs> conversation or in my relationships, uh, I've got to apply that in the conversations. I've got to show those same qualities in my conversations to get them back. So in the same way, leadership is a relationship, what's the nature of your relationship? Because, or should I say, what's the nature and the quality of your conversations with other people? Because that determines the depth and quality of your relationship. I hope that made sense. Well, I mean, it did to me 100%, because, you know, I'm sitting here and like, I've talked about some of these things on the show before, 
but every every great moment in my life has been the result of a great conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in Northeast Tennessee, white male. Um, I go to boot camp and I'm surrounded by not white males. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, just one story here. Uh, we were doing a field day, cleaning the barracks or whatever, and I'm doing what everybody I knew from Tennessee did when uh, we were working. I start whistling Dixie. <laughs> well, there's an African-American recruit comes up to me. He's like, why are you whistling that song? I'm like, well, that's just what I, what we do. Why? And then he proceeded, thankfully, to have a conversation with me about what hearing that song meant to him as a black man in America. And I had to sit back and think how many other people, how many other black males that I've been around where I would whistle that tune and they were having those same Mm -hmm. thoughts and never said anything to me. Never said anything. That's a fierce conversation. He had the courage to come out and share that with you. That was a learning moment for you. I bet you appreciated him for sharing that with you. Yes, 100%. Yeah. That's a fierce conversation. I love that story, man. And yeah. I've done similar things, and I've thought to myself as well, wow, how many other people have I offended by my words or my actions, and they didn't let me know of it? Yeah, I love it. I mm. love it. Um, man, we have covered a lot of territory here. <laughs> I, I really I know. Uh, <laughs> I've loved this conversation, and I'm hoping— uh, I'm hoping that the listeners have taken as much value as this from this as I have. Uh, I well, let me ask you, you know, kind of one last question here, because there's something else that uh, you mentioned uh, that was kind of sent to me in our pre-work, uh, pre-workup information. Uh, and I love the way you, you put this, but you talk about uh, how great advice can ruin a company culture. How great advice can ruin a company culture. Yeah. You want, you want me to speak to that? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, cause I like that. Cause we, you know, a lot of times we think about great advice being great. Uh, but you know, how can good advice really hurt a company culture? Well, first of all, let's just take the word advice. I mean, I come from, I don't want to say I come from a coaching background, but I, you know, I'm somewhat of a coach. I've been coached and I have just come to learn in my experience that I take advice with a grain of salt. I have found that uh, decisions, etc., are much more impactful when we come up with our own solutions to our own challenges, our own problems, etc., within ourselves. So, advice may have the advice someone is giving me may have worked for them. It may not work for me. It might be great advice for someone else, but not for me. Not only that, it creates a dependency. So, you, Earl, you give me great advice on something. Guess what? I'm probably going to come back to you and ask for more advice. You're not helping. It, it, it reminds me of the, uh, you can teach a man to fish. How is it? You can, uh, the, the fishing analogy of, uh, you can, you can feed a man a fish a day or teach him how to fish, that kind of a thing, right? Right, yeah. So yeah. it's, it's like advice for me. Yeah. Um, I would rather not be given advice. I would rather be coached. Mm-hmm. That way I've made the decision myself. I take ownership of it. It resonates with me in my brain. Uh, and, it just lands better. So when I say, you know, good advice can ruin a culture, well, who is it that gave the advice? What perspective were they coming from? Are they still with the organization? It's more impactful when we come up with our own solutions ourselves. Maybe sometimes advice works. I've had some advice given to me that worked, but again, okay, great, it worked. It helped me get a great result, but it wasn't mine. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't come up with it. And it's just science has shown it's more impactful when we come up with our own solutions for ourselves. So I didn't want to sound hyperbolic, if you will, by saying great advice can ruin a culture. But, uh, you know, I've seen it happen. I've said I, I haven't seen cultures or companies ruined. But, yeah, I've seen advice really go the wrong way. And that's what I meant by that. Is that helpful? No, it, yeah, it is. And, and I love it because and I think I've shared this story on here before, too. But, uh, you know, I was working with a leader one time and, uh, you know, th- this gentleman was really trying. And, uh, you know, he asked me for his, you know, for my advice and, and my advice to him. I looked at behind him and on his bookshelf, he had like every John Maxwell book ever printed. <laughs> I said, stop, stop reading the books. And he says, looks at me, he's like, why? He goes, I thought you'd be all about that. I'm like, no, look, I'm all about personal development and reading books. I said, but the problem is, is what you just said. The problem is you're not taking the time to digest the information and have it something that means something to you. Yeah, yeah. make it your own. You're trying to regurgitate what John Maxwell says. You're trying to do what John Maxwell says, and it's not authentic, and it's ruining your leadership in this organization. And so when I, when I read that, I was like, thank you. Somebody else gets it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and you know what, Earl, if I can just take a moment to give you an example, that's also part of what we call fierce conversations. Let's say you come to me, you're a colleague of mine. You say, Luis, I got this issue, situation. I'm not sure what to do. You're good at this. What would you do? Before I jump in and say, well, Earl, here's what I think you should do. You know, and that's also an ego stroke for me, Earl. When I get to do that, I'm feeling good. I'm wanted. I'm, uh, you know, yeah. uh, but Instead of me going in and just saying, here's what I think you should do, I'm going to stop and say, yeah, well, I got some advice, but first, tell me more about that. And I'm going to start asking you questions. And before you know it, you haven't even agreed to it, but I'm coaching you to figure it out yourself. Love it. And then later, maybe I'll give you the advice if you still need it, but I'm going to ask you first, what are you going to come up with? And I'll help you get to that solution by asking you questions. I love it. See, we come back to Sun Tzu and flanking. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Luis, again, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you having it uh, today. And, uh, you know, I I think hopefully for a lot of listeners, this was a a fierce conversation that we had with them. Uh, But before we uh, before we climb to close out here, um, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to discuss that you'd like to, to share with the listeners? I just will leave the listeners with just one tidbit and it kind of kind of covers, I guess, you know, what we've been talking about in general today. Why are we even talking about all of this? We're navigating our lives. We're all navigating our lives one conversation at a time. Our careers, our companies, our relationships, heck, our lives, we're either either succeeding or failing, and it happens gradually, then suddenly one conversation at a time. And for people to be conscious of that is super important. Many of us are not, and even I was not. So, Be intentional about our conversations. Be intentional about being curious. Realize that we may not have all the answers. We may think we're brilliant. We may think we're awesome. We may have made really wonderful decisions for our organizations that had such a wonderful impact, but yet we have to come back to the reality that, as I said earlier, we really can't see everything completely and wholly, and we certainly can't see ourselves 100% objectively. We need the perspectives of others. That requires conversations, starting with getting curious. How do you see this, Earl? What are your thoughts on this, Earl? Help me see what I'm not seeing. 
I might not have the whole picture here. So that's the tidbit I'm going to leave with our listening audience today. Oh, no, I like that. I like that a lot. That's great advice. And uh, uh, so hopefully, again, the listeners have, have loved what you've had to say. They're, they're ready to have these fierce conversations. They want to learn more about how to uh, facilitate those in their organizations and, and make meaningful change happen out of them. How can they reach out to, to you and, uh, you know, work with you, work with Fierce? Um, you know, how can they get in touch with you all? Thanks for asking. There's two ways. Uh, first of all, I would direct our listeners to go directly to our Fierce website. We have free resources there. The website uh, address is Fierce Inc. F-I-E-R-C-E-I-N-C dot com forward slash resources. That'll take you directly to the resources tab on the main website. We've got all kinds of white papers, research, and all kinds of good stuff there in resources that are free. So I would direct the listeners directly there. Second way, connect with me on LinkedIn. I really love growing my network. I love continuing the conversation and learning from other leaders in this space. So please connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me at uh, linkedin.com forward slash I-N and my name, Luis Gonzalez, which you can find the spelling in the uh, liner notes of this, this uh, podcast absolutely no i love it and i will have all the links to all those in in the show notes there uh again louise thank you for having this conversation i really appreciate it i love the work you're doing uh you know keep it up earl thank you for giving me the opportunity it was a pleasure it was an honor i appreciate it earl thank you i love it i love it thank you and listeners thank you for being with us uh you know take advantage of those resources that are on the website again i'll have a link directly to that in the show notes uh, whenever somebody like Luis and, and his, uh, uh, his friends at Fierce give you free information like that, you better well take, uh, take, take advantage of it, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, burden.command at gmail.com. Reach out with any type of feedback. You know, if it's a fierce conversation you want to have about something I've said on the show, let's have it. Um, Keep rating, reviewing, sharing the show so great ideas like uh, what Luis has shared with us today can get spread further and reach more people. Uh, really appreciate what you've done so far with that. It's so valuable the way the algorithms work on getting rated on the various podcast platforms, and you all are outstanding at doing that. Just keep up the great work. Um, really do appreciate you all. Thanks for spending your time with us, and I look forward to spending some more time with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. 
Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.